This is a video on the spirit of beer, Alu. My name is uh, Rune Janne and uh, this is the Nordic Animism channel where you can keep updated on the struggle to recover traditional ways of knowing in Northern Europe. There is one sure sign that Yule is coming to Denmark. It is an example of one of these behaviors that seems to perhaps have stayed the same over millennia while being a really recent historical event invention. It is the celebration of the opening of the Yule Brew. I'm fairly sure that the industrialist breweries that invented this tradition back in the 70s and 80s probably had zero clue that they were reinventing culture with very deep roots in the patterns of traditional knowledge where the opening of Yule with the celebration for finalizing the Yule brew and ending the Yule when the last of the Yule brew was ritually drunk. This is a cultural scheme that seems linked to the idea that it is the brew, the beer, that is the spirit of Yule. It is the real ghost of Christmas, which is why pre in pre-Christian times people didn't celebrate Yule. Yule was something they drank. They drank Yule. Celebrating Yule was called Drekka Yul in Old Norse, as if the beer itself is the condensation of Yule, as if your intoxication is the spirit of Yule. There's even a story about heathen peasants who try to legitimize observing the heathen midwinter Yule by defending themselves to the Christian, Christianizer king, Kong Olaf the Holy, that they were just celebrating Christian Christmas. But then the Christmas beer was so plentifully brewed that it lasted all the way into mid-January, hence Christian celebration of Christmas just continued and kind of spilled over into heathen Yule, which was located at that point. The point is basically that the beer is the embodiment of the celebration. When there is beer, there's Yule. <laughs> now, you might ask why people have this tendency to do things in certain ways, and I don't have a finished answer really. Perhaps nobody really have. Things tend to change over time. So yeah, the idea that they just stayed the same is in the main incorrect. Um, but some have suggested that there might be some deep cultural structures, or maybe there's some Jungian cultural subconscious or similar ideas. The problem is that these ideas, these layers are so abstract that we don't have access to them anyway, which is why you can use them to say pretty much whatever you want. Personally, I would tend to just restrict myself to observe that there is perhaps a tendency, a leaning, an inertia, which probably rests on relation between people and the land, 
And this here is just one recent example where there, uh, there are certain behaviors that popular culture seems almost incapable of not continuing to reinvent. Um, in this case, it's that idea of beer as the main thing, like the essence of a specific celebration. And the idea of beer as something religious is actually ancient. In fact, it's probably prehistoric. The craft of brewing beer uh, came to these parts from the Middle East. It was probably brought by an offshoot of that Bronze Age migration that most, though not all, white-identified people and some non-white-identified people descend from. That is, the group of people that have existed, probably, that has been the most weirded up in contemporary imagination. The Yamnaya or Indo-Europeans. Oh my god, when people talk about them, I mostly just want to hold my ears and scream. So this is just a state that I'm not postulating 4,000 years of unbroken cultural continuity with these examples, nor an Indo-European cultural soul, or an Indo-European blood, or metagenetics, or epigenetics, or extragenetics, or hypergenetics, or ultragenetics, or in any other way that you can try to cover up that you're really just trying to say race. I'm even actually suspicious about the idea of an Indo-European culture at all uh, that has... Uh, distinctive traits, though there are wise people uh, who are uh, working from that assumption. I just remain not entirely convinced. What I might be suggesting here is that life forms relate to specific landscapes and agrarian life transformations, and that that can have sometimes a remarkable inertia or capacity to re-emerge. What uh, racists and cultural essentialists, such as focusts don't understand is that uh, relating to landscapes might be embedded in a cultural tradition, but the focus is outwards. It's towards that landscape and, uh, and, and the culture is transformational. It's not inwards on some abstract, essential or even, you know, eternal quality, something like that. But of course, the early Indo-Europeans were themselves blissfully unaware of all the godforsaken blathering that they would become a target of for millennia after they moved through Europe. So let's just try to forget all of that. They had beautifully crafted vessels, probably for drinking beer or some similar drink, and these vessels took up a central position in their graves. Now, this is just to say that in these parts, Beer drinking, being culturally central, is probably as old as can be. Since those Bronze Age people who build those grave mounts that capitalist farmers have recently been plowing down in the area where I grew up, 
there probably literally was not a time in this land where beer drinking was not just what we do to create togetherness. It was so central to this Yamnaya offshoot that archaeologists actually identify them by their beautiful and characteristic beer cups that seem to have been so important for them. They're called the Bell Beaker culture. And likely this was of some sort of spiritual importance. These cups and graves, they do seem directed towards some sort of other world because the spiritual potency of meaning of beer and meaning of beer is something you find all the way back through history, even in Mesopotamia, ancient Egypt. Right? Good example, by the way, that this is not about being Indo-European. Uh, our distant genetic ancestors, the Indo-Europeans, probably got beer uh, from Semitic-speaking peoples, um, like uh, Semitic languages are, for instance, Phoenician, Akkadian, Hebrew, and Arabic. Again, not particularly because of them being Semitic, but because they were probably agriculturalists and, and beer uh, was part of their culture of relating with the land. So, to my mind, that is the important factor when we are talking about these very long stretches of history, the land relating. Through the Bronze Age, you see graves that have containers that also seems to have contained some beer or meat of sort. Um, this is actually sometimes uh, analyzed by uh, archaeologists and, and chemists. Um, and into the Iron Age, you, we find uh, all kinds of drinking equipment as grave goods. Perhaps it even starts being reminiscent of this medieval Nordic idea that you find in poetry about how there's a bowl of meat that is uh, waiting in, in the land of the dead for the dead warrior. And like literally as soon as Northern Europeans start getting a voice through to us today by scratching runes and this or that object, one of the first words that we know that they had to say is alu. Beer. So when we move into the Viking Age and Middle Ages, we, we meet these early Christianizers who talk about beer as the embodiment of the devil or of heathen religion. For instance, the missionary Vedast, uh, he makes the sign of the cross over big vats of beer at a heathen celebration in Francia. And this breaks the power of the devil uh, in the beer and the vats break and the beer runs out. Uh, something similar happens uh, with the Irish monk Saint Columbanus who's traveling in, also in heathen Francia. And he found a village that was ready to perform a ritual for Odin and great vats of beer were, were waiting to begin the proceedings. The saint then blew in the direction of these vats. The vats cracked as, as if the demonic uh, power inside them had been conquered by God and the beer was spilled. See how the, the beer itself is seen as the embodiment of a uh, spiritual power. But as time went on, Christianity basically threw the towel in the ring. It was quite simply impossible to stem against such an ingrained traditions. 
you cannot stop Northern Europeans from drinking beer, actually. Uh, and saints, like Saint Bridget, starts turning water into beer as she was performing, you know, these miracles that are prescribed for Christian saints. This is an early example of Christian uh, adoption of beer into Christianity. You also find this legend of uh, the heathen beer being spilled in Scandinavia. In Norway, the Christianizer king, Olaf Tryggvason, he's given two horns named Grim, which is a name for the god Odin. And these horns, they are brought by uh, two mysterious men, also named Grim, still a name for Odin. And when the horns are blessed by the priest, then these two companions, they can't drink from them anymore, and they then spill the beer on the floor. But Olaf, he keeps these two horns, and this keeping of this heathen horn, that's actually significant. Try to remember that. In um, the Halfdan's saga, King Alric, he uh, promises his two mistresses that he would marry the one of them who made the best beer. Uh, one of the wo uh, women then prayed to Odin, who then blessed the beer by spitting in the brew, like giving some of himself into the brew, and then that, of course, became the best beer. This spitting could actually represent uh, real practices. Uh, it's, it's not impossible. Um, creating yeast is, yeasting by uh, spitting in a, in a brew is something that you sometimes see uh, in some places in the world. The Finnish hero Lemminkainen also spits in the brew in order to make it start yeasting. Notice again that there's a feeling that the god is embodied in the beer, almost like Yule is embodied in the Yule brew. Uh, it might not be completely coincidental that Odin particularly seems to also be associated with Yule. Uh, he has been addressed with names such as the Jolnir, the Julir, or the Jol Father, Father Yule, and uh, the meat of poetry could be named the Jolna Sumbel, the toast of the Jolnir, right? Like uh, in Northern Europe, raising your glass, saying something, or even dedicating this sip or cup of whatever alcohol to the health of whomever or the success of whatever is actually still practiced today. Uh, the more solemn the occasion, the more solemn the toast, uh, like at a wedding or something. But we also toast when two friends meet on a Friday night, you know, to just have a little beer drinking, chit chatting uh, session. Then we also start by toasting each other. It is a simple, little, but also ancient and deep ritual that goes on in toasting. But in the Viking Age, that was serious business. At the heathen court of Earl Sigurd in northern Norway, three fires were supposed to burn during a bloat uh, sacrifice ritual. And then the full horns were supposed to be carried around these fires and the uh, officiating priest should drink first the horn of Odin for victory and for might for his king, then the horn of Frey and uh, of 
the horn of Njort for peace and uh, prosperity. And at the end, people would drink the Bragafull, the horn of Bragi, honoring ancestors. This ritual toasting was so important that when the Christian King Håkon visited the heathens at Sigurd's Hall in northern uh, Norway, they got rather testy with their king because he didn't sacralize the horn to Odin, but made the sign of the cross over it. And Sigurd, uh, Sigurd Earl, he had to tell the peasants that he wasn't making the sign of the cross, he was making the sign of the hammer, right? And this story tells a couple of things rather explicitly. It shows how important the beer toasting was for the heathens in Northern Europe. It shows this tension around Christianity, which ends up Christianity basically adopting the ritual. Uh, Håkon, the king here, he seems to be engaging in this weird double masking. He's adopting a heathen ritual while telling himself that it's actually Christian, right? And telling the heathens that it's still heathen. It almost feels like a window in behind these characteristic myths of Christianizers blowing in the direction of sacred beer and then the power of God spectacularly makes the vats explode and spill the beer. In reality, we see Håkon kind of sneaking his Christianity in there. So beer has been connected to all seasonal celebrations, not just Yule. There is a something beer for pretty much any occasion around the year. In peasant culture, so, uh, you know, there were loads of holidays all the time and they were often named stuff like Midsummer Beer or Harvest Beer and so on. You can check uh, my work on Nordic seasonal animism, by the way, in this book that you can find on my website. Interestingly, the idea of beer as imbued with spirit doesn't disappear with the tra transition to Christianity. Uh, and in a former video, I already uh, mentioned the absolutely amazing example of Norwegian priests baptizing early Norwegian Christians in beer, which is possibly one of my favorite cases of early Scandinavian Christianity. Uh, I got this one from uh, Brutnos, possibly rivaled by the uh, Swede who in deep felt Christian piety went up to Uppsala and sacrificed a horse to Saint Eric. <laughs> but this adoption of beer into Christianity also seems actually to have been fully formalized and decreed. King Olaf Trekvason, he basically ordains Christian holiday drinking. In the Agrip Saga of the Norwegian Kings, it explicitly says that, the, the, that King Olaf did away with bloat and bloat drinking, but instead, in order to appease the people, he instated holiday drinking at Christmas, Easter, and the St. John's beer, that's midsummer, uh, harvest beer at Michaelmas, that's late September. King Olaf basically says, okay, let's call it something Christian. That's kind of the starting point of the Christianization process. This toasting culture, by the way, is also tra transmitted into the medieval guild culture, where you have these uh, very heathen-looking toasting for this or that saint. Uh, you have the 
ancient and in my opinion heathen symbol of the drinking horn continuously holding a central uh, place in uh, ceremonial drinking uh, through the Middle Ages. In the Norwegian medieval lore of the Gula thing, uh, it is prescribed that peasants uh, should congregate at the latest on All Souls Day uh, in order to give uh, thanks for their har- harvest and sacralized a measure of beer to Christ, to Christ and Mary. And likewise, every household should dedicate a measure of beer to Christ and Mary on Christmas night. These dedications to Christ and Mary were followed by the ancient heathen pra- prayer for Ars og Frieder, uh, to peace and prosperity. There are also uh, cases where the actual spirit of beer as an other than human seems to survive under the Christian domination. Um, the uh, English figure John Barleycorn is basically the spirit of beer and the song about John Barleycorn which in my view is one of my all-time favorite North European pieces of animist liturgy that song describes John Barleycorn as the essence of the of the barley that comes out victorious as the vessel of connectivity after having endured so much pain and violence. I think it's possible that John Barleycorn could have uh, the roots in uh, basically the idea of the beer itself as an other than human, um, the spirit of beer. A similar fig- figure might be found in the Nordic material uh, under the name Bugevir, possibly a servant of the god Freyr, uh, or perhaps his own deity, who's mentioned in the Eric poem, the uh, Lokasena. This name, Bugvir, uh, seems clearly based on the Nordic name for uh, Bali, Bug. And a similar figure is found in Finland and Estonia, where Peko is an ancient deity of Bali and brewing. And among a small group of Estonians who are speaking a dialect called Seto, Peko, the god of Bali and brewing, is, was still worshipped into the 20th century, right? Notice again, by the way, how this is definitely not about being Indo-European because this very iconic and resilient example of a spirit of beer actually doesn't come from Indo-Europeans. Estonians speak a Finno-Ukrian language and hence they aren't Indo-Europeans. So you also see the spirit of beer uh, in the brewing process, which I'm hoping to get back to uh, at length in a a later video, Uh, you see a whole complex of rituals that seem to be magning the kettle, giving it Megan, empowering it, right? Or magning the wort, or magning the brew. And there's a lot of ritual protection going on. So seeing beer as the vessel of connectivity, that makes sense also when we look Uh, at beer as the embodiment of specific spirits. Through the ages, beer has been seen as the embodiment of heathen deities uh, or even to be its own deity like the Estonian Peko or uh, John Barleycorn or Big Beer. And of course, the transition to Christian beer, you also find Christian ideas connected to this. When the beer is done and is being drunk, 
then the power of beer is, is identified as a spiritual presence. In modern day Norway, uh, people would believe that if a person at a beer celebration did not get drunk, then this was a sign of being cursed by God. It's a rather extreme expression. The intoxication itself actually as the presence or the, the, uh, the uh, blessing of God. Uh, Norway has had, in my view, the most beautiful and powerful beer culture that I'm aware of in Scandinavia and has also been cursed with the most extreme Christian temperance movement. However, though the most radical form uh, of Norwegian tem temperance ended up being mainstream, there has been parts of the Norwegian temperance movement where homebrew beer was considered okay. Like beer was so fundamental for Norwegian culture that a beer drinking temperance movement has made sense to people at some point. So that spirit of the earth, of those spirits of the earth that are channeled through the barley, that are the blessing that creates connectivity between people, between humans and between humans and other than humans. That is probably what's invoked through the brewing process <clears throat> and all that ceremony that uh, surrounds this project process, which in my view is a deep example of Nordic animism. And I am continu continuously struggling to figure out how to actually put this into action. Like, Making beer is not that easy, even as a, as a hobby project, it, it really takes some rather serious effort to make it work. And, and I've started a little bit and, and my aim is to, to uh, start simple and then amp up complexity as I go along uh, to, to, to a point where the preparation of the beer basically begins with the ceremonial handling of that barley seed that will be sown during spring. So yes, tag along here for more videos on beer, alu. Uh, my favorite topic for a long time, but one that I, it's been a little bit difficult for me to keep flowing. So uh, thanks a lot for watching and see you around.